I finished editing this podcast on Friday and on Monday, Helen and Ollie, who are my guests on today's show, announced the launch of a new hour-long Answer Me This Sports Day episode. You can buy it through iTunes and it will also, in due course, be available through Amazon. So that's a really great way of supporting their show. That's all new material, never heard before, that they've recorded to link in with the Olympics. It's in the style of the fantastic episode that is still available to be bought about the Jubilee. I don't mention it in this show. We don't mention it in this show. But at the end of this episode, when you hear me come on and give some extra plugging for the show, I want you to imagine that one of the things I plug is the Answer Me This Sports Day. Listen out for that end of the episode extra plugging because that's where I'll announce some really exciting news about getting better acquainted. And now I want you to imagine something else. And that's that you haven't heard me saying this and that the next thing you hear is the first thing you hear, which is how the episode starts. Do you yeah. have a proper job, by the way? Do I have a proper job? Yeah. Wow, yeah. that's a, an excellent I've way to start. I've already asked him that. Uh, yeah, I'm an early years library outreach worker, which means I tell stories and sing songs to kids under five. Fantastic. Yeah. Any good? Yes, it's a really good job. It's the best job I've had out of all the jobs I've had. Arguing with yourself about where a comma goes all afternoon to me is not showbiz. No. That is a pure activity. Well, actually, if we're going to badmouth celebrities, I've never <laughs> met this one before, but Paul McCartney's son. Well, a, a parlour maid with a bloody knife in her hand is as guilty as a cat with a fish in its mouth. Hello, I'm Dave. I'm the guy that's putting all this stuff together. I need to get better. Please make me better. I want to get better, better, better acquainted with you. Today, we're getting better acquainted with Helen and Ollie. Hello. 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 Firm <laughs> friends already. Hello, yeah. sweet. I was saying to Ollie, I sort of was talking to Helen for a little while on her own, and then Helen went off when Ollie arrived, so I've talked to both of you separately. We've had our alone time. I'm in the perfect position to sort of manipulate you against each other. You're actually the first person ever to meet us both at the same time. I was expecting Helen to be early and she was early. I was expecting you to be late but you were pretty much bang on time. I was about four minutes late. I think two. I blame it all on the driver of the 341. Uh, Oh yeah. An unexpected traffic block just as we were about to come over Waterloo Bridge. He thought I want Ollie Mann to look like he has better things to do than the people he's meeting. (laughs) Success! I was on a bus that was delayed a lot a couple of weeks ago and I did that thing where I started ranting at the bus driver because she wouldn't let me off, which would have been completely within her rights, her turning around and saying, uh, no, you're going to stay here till I open the door because I was being a twat. Yeah. She actually said to me, well, don't tell anyone I told you this, but if you press that button, the doors will open, you can jump off and it's not my legal responsibility. Yeah, I've had bus drivers say that to me, but not when I was being a twat, it was when I was being nice and they thought, I'll help a lady out. But the thing is, I'm too short to reach that button. So oh, no. no, oh, no. <laughs> Better get your twat friend to reach it for you. That's the way to do it. Anyway, I did it and I got off, it was great. The secret to life is being a twat and gleaning information from people whose well, lives you've made worse. I'm a bit trigger happy now. Because I know that button's there. Like Whenever the bus hits any traffic, I can feel my finger edging towards the it's button. A, it's a dangerous secret. Yeah. In a way, I wish I didn't know it. I wish I could un- unknow it, because <laughs> now, now I'm going to do terrible things with it. This is sort of part of a series within the series that's, that I've been doing a few of recently, which what? is where I talk... I was told that you just wanted to speak to us. 
You've got the whole thing set up. Big yeah. picture of our faces yeah, on the logo it's just and everything. You. It's just you. <laughs> he's done a year's worth of practice episodes and now, <laughs> yeah, now he's now, ready. Now it's time to go for the big ones. The series within the series element is talking to fellow podcasters. So the first question is going to be strange, but so what? I'm still keeping it the same oh, regardless. Okay. Actually, I'm going to slightly alter it for you guys. You, you may notice what I do here. Okay. So Helen and Ollie, answer me this. <laughs> What's more of a turn? Salt <laughs> or pepper? <laughs> How do you know me? Oh, well, I suppose, I suppose we know you through the internet, so through Twitter, through the podcasting network, because we're all just loners, essentially, linked by certain common factors. And uh, I guess because we were Sony nominees in the same year. That's right, we were. Yeah. We were up against each other. Yeah, we and were. None, none, of us, none of us even got a bronze that year. <laughs> no, we so it's fine. Are you yeah. the Rethink Daily guy? That's right. Yeah, yeah. Classic year, classic year. For yeah, Sony strong, Wars. strong. Who yeah. won that year? I can't even. I can't Where remember. are they now? I can't are they here? Even remember. It was a Christian guy, wasn't it? No, it was. Yeah, it was a ten-minute podcast. It was about a priest, and it was like. So it was called like the bird in the cage. Or yes, something. yeah, exactly. There was some bird metaphor. I remember bird metaphors being quite a big thing in that year's uh, Sony podcast <laughs> entries. But I thought this guy's done one, one Chris off. Chris Evans and the porcelain canary that won a gold. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the, the judges they deny it, but they are all looking for the same thing essentially, and that is bird metaphors. And <laughs> And I remember thinking, it's very unfair that we do this stuff every week. And this guy does one ten-minute bird metaphor about a bishop and an owl. <laughs> yeah. And walks off with it. It's a weird one, isn't it? I mean, it was the best internet programme award, wasn't it? If I'm remembering right. That's right. That's what and it's called. The, the funny thing about it is, is it was really... There was nothing in common with any of the entries. There was like mine was a drama, yours is an entertainment program. You got the the priest guy. One of them was yes, about cars. That's right, yeah, yeah, Guardian Media Talk. Yeah, yeah, Media Talk. Which I'm not knocking it, and it's a show that you guys are both regular features on now. But none of them have anything in common. So I don't no. think you can really judge those things against but each you know, other. You know, it would have been the wrong decision if we'd responded to the victory of the priest talking about bird metaphors by by us doing a series of bird messages. <laughs> but I do quite like the idea that in the year that we did actually win, that maybe this year lots of people perhaps priests who wanted to do shows about bird metaphors instead did a 40 part half an hour series uh, of knob gags because yeah. that would be quite amusing I, I would listen to a, a priest doing knob gags so would I for sure perhaps not for 20 hours a year though it depends if they're good at them or not which they probably <laughs> aren't because they haven't had very much practice at the knob well, gags I would imagine which church they're from doesn't it mm. yeah that's true dark times <laughs> I contacted you guys because we were against each other at one point yeah and but in a camaraderie way yeah that, well that's right I mean I don't think podcasters are against each other. We're not competition yet. We're really at a stage where we're just trying desperately to get people to know what a podcast is. Yeah. Well, isn't that the joy of the on-demand medium, actually? You know, if, if we were on, um, you know, let's be charitable to each other and say that, uh, I don't want to say we'd be on BBC One, let's say you were on BBC Two and we were on Channel Four, we're up against each other in the same slot, then you would be competitive. Yeah. But in the podcast world, you can have someone who's bigger or smaller than you, and it doesn't matter because you, you can, the audience can listen to both. That yeah. said, I did mount a very vicious smear campaign against Rethink Daily that year. Did you? <laughs> and it worked. Well, it, there you go. It was like when the manager of Wham smeared Queen in China so that Wham could be the first Western band ever to play China. So they put all this uh, propaganda around China saying that Freddie Mercury was gay. Ironies. Mm. The thing is about that, Sony, Awards. It cost £110 to go. No, it cost was £200 it, no, pounds to go. That's right, it was end to enter, it was £110 yeah. or something. It was a weird experience for me as somebody who works for not very much money for the council to be in Grosvenor House, mm. have a very big disappointment, see lots of celebrities, like discover that well no I'm not going to say that Oh. well I don't want to tie you with. I'm, I'm quite happy to say that I think Chris Evans is a cock 
but I don't that. necessarily think that you guys would well, necessarily. We don't have to, you know. Yeah. We can so have our own separate you can, you can I've never met him. In, well, apart from I found him. Capacity. I found him to be a cock. Um, did you meet him? I did you meet him in the toilet? My friend was waiting to speak to him, mm. and he was very rude to my friend, and my friend really wanted to speak. In what to manner? Him. What did he say? I can't. I can't. I can't finish the story oh. because I would reveal my friend's so, identity. Well, this reflects badly okay. on you, Dave. Oh, I, 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 okay. He said, I'm not going to talk to a black woman with one leg. Okay, so say, <laughs> so, say, say, say it was Helen waiting to speak to okay. Yes, imagine Helen's oh my God, I can't um, I really want to speak yeah, to Chris Evans. I really, really do. Yeah, am I reenacting and it properly? You, and yeah, and you say to him, hello, my name's Helen. Mm-hmm. He turned to the person and said, hello, little Helen. And then turned away. Right. And turned his back completely on that person. Well, that is rude, yeah. Especially if Helen is six rude. feet tall. Well, yeah. I mean, exactly. I chose you because you're the taller of the two of you, and I thought <laughs> it would be a good idea. I should say, my, my only personal interaction with Chris Evans ever, apart from when I actually went on stage to receive the award, but I count that as a professional interaction. My only actual <laughs> personal interaction with him was um, when I was, I think, nine years old. My dad's a vintage Bentley restorer and racer. Strange job, but that is what he is. Um, and he was running an event where he was doing a speed record. He was trying to break the 1,000-mile speed record in a pre-1930s car. You didn't think we'd be talking about this, did you? And uh, Chris Evans is a car nut and, and came. And uh, he was in the marquee, sort of enjoying the hospitality of the marquee. And I was filming it on my camcorder. And, of course, I thought I was being subtle, but, you know being sort of seven or eight years old yeah. wasn't being very subtle with a camcorder in those days that was like the size of me on my shoulder <laughs> yeah. um, trying to get as many pickup shots of the celebrity Chris Evans as possible because he was you know this was when he was peak don't forget your toothbrush oh, radio one breakfast yeah, show big yeah. breakfast time and, uh, and actually and uh, uh, you know this doesn't say that he's not a cock but he certainly wasn't a cock with a child well, uh, he came nice up thing. to me as this whatever I was seven or eight year old and said, you know what, if you really want to get a picture of me, the way to do it is, fuck off outside, he didn't say that. The way, to do it, <laughs> said, the way to do it, take the camera off your shoulder and hold it like this. And he showed me to hold the camera at waist height. Wow. Which for and a child is about a foot off the ground. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he said, that's how they do it in the TV studio. They hold it like this under their arm and then point it and I'll go and sit over there and you can point it at me now. Uh, which you know was I remember that, so that lasted with me. So yeah. well, that's nice. There I mean, redeeming I mean, feature well, story and, that, about Chris and Evans. that's true. I mean, I'm I'm sure that Chris Evans is a person like any other person. He Charitably can be a cop sometimes. Children and, get and cut sometimes away he can be other. nice. You know, I'm sure he's sometimes nice. I was just annoyed because he was mean to my friend. Yeah, no, and, that's reasonable. And you know, I wasn't expecting it. And it, I guess it was a, a night when we'd all well, yeah, it w- was naive. Of me. But it was nice to the bishop and the bird. You love them indeed. The winners, winners, yeah, winners get the good treatment. There were some nice people who were celebrities as well so I was right to be naive about Adam mm. and Joe because they were lovely Good. Um, I would have been really gutted if that story had been about Adam and Joe I much prefer it to be about Chris Evans actually it was my shocker from the first time I went to the Sony's £200 to go for the dinner yeah. Ollie's mum had the vegetarian option which was half a squash filled with baked beans £200 oh man the food was yeah it was not it was excrement it's yeah, it, was, it was not <laughs> worth it I know and then the and the bar was so expensive but I mean I ended up getting drunk um, as you would if that must have cost about a million quid. Yeah, I know, I know. I was stealing water off other people's tables because that was so expensive. I know, but then I had to get up at six in the morning and go and do a series of rhyme times with children the next day. And I <laughs> As just, did Chris Evans on Radio exactly, 2. Exactly, and I just got up that morning. I, was, I, was, I just, It just felt so weird that the night before I'd been in this... In this in this environment, and now here oh, I was. It that's like the virtue of a portfolio career in the twenty first <laughs> century, though, isn't it? That's what it's all about. Yeah. I guess so. I guess so. It was a bit bleak for me that moment. Though. I'm sorry, Dave. Well, there you go. 
good to start on a low note, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Let's let's start with misery and, and move on from there. So the next question that I ask everybody is, what do you do now? <laughs> the same, the same. Really, sit in the house, wondering where my life is going. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I email radio producers and I say, me and my friend Helen are sitting in the house, wondering where our lives are going. Would you like to meet up? <laughs> and then you never hear from them. So is it, is, it, is it true to say that you make a living from being entertainment people? No. You Wouldn't what? Know. Well, it depends what you define um, living I, I didn't, as. I thought it might not be to ask when I was fishing. Well, no, I think it, I think it is, but I'll let Helen explain okay. why she thinks it is. Well, well okay. I, I suppose Controversy. I don't think we, we're paid for all of the hours we work at entertaining the masses. No. Right. But we have reached a point where we have largely cut out the more mundane activities we used to do to uh, finance our lives. Yeah, with, with qualifications like that, I think I agree with Helen. But I, I, I'm by nature more of an optimist, and so I'd say... <laughs> well, it's because you've got more employment than me, and well, I'm no, poorer than you, but therefore. But all, the, all the things that we do do for money are things that are related to industries that we're interested in. So it's not like we do something that's completely unrelated. Right. So I would say, broadly speaking, yes, we make money out of the entertainment industry, but it's not... Sometimes it's... Sometimes it's writing a gag, or sometimes in Helen's case, it's sub-editing, or whatever. It's that's not the of entertainment things. industry. Well, you see, but I think it. But that's what I mean. I think that's a question of attitude because I think it is. I think <laughs> it's not. To me, well, to me, it is. When I, that's because like, he's never done it. No, no, I haven't done what you do. But like, for example, one of the things that I do is is research for people. I consider that to be part of the entertainment industry, even though it is just research towards a TV program that I'm not going to present or appear on or get credit for. Yeah. So it depends how you look at it, I think. It, it maybe feeds into you getting more more jobs within the entertainment industry. No, I actually genuinely sort of enjoy it because I like that industry. Okay. So, I mean, I'm in, personally, I, I, I'm not particularly into, into working on books, so I wouldn't do books, but I, but I do like TV and radio and press. Yeah. Uh, and publicity and... Oh, but I was doing books before we got into the podcast showbiz world, so for me it doesn't count. I mean, arguing with yourself about where a comma goes all afternoon to me is not showbiz. No. That is a pure activity. Yeah, well, I guess so. So you're one of the people who cares really where the comma goes. Yeah, I care. It can make a lot of difference, Dave. I know. Well, yeah. my, my girlfriend tells me frequently that that is the case, but I've never really got a hang of the, the, the punctuation No, business. I think it's a problem for a lot of people, but <laughs> I was born knowing, and therefore my uh, proofreading skills are very much in demand. Well, that's, I mean, that's, that's a skill. At least skill. a skill. That's a yeah. proper skill. People I'm can, blessed can, can with say that's a, that's a skill. She's got a skill. It's not it's e- ephemeral and confusing like all of these other things that we, we say that we do these days. That's an actual skill. You can punctuate the hell out of this text. <laughs> well done, Helen. You get a badge. Yeah, I don't exactly. know. The I blue just Peter badge. Page. The punctuation. Uh, I do have a blue Peter badge actually, but it was uh, for coming uh, runner-up in the Christmas card competition, 1985. There you go. You are full of skills. I was. I was <laughs> when I was five. I was uh, really incredible, and then downhill both of you make answer me this which is your podcast which is why i contacted you and why we were up against each other in the sony's do you think that you can make money do you think we can do you think one can make money from podcasting i, I know some people who seem to make quite an unfeasible yeah, amount of yeah. money out of podcasting they're nearly all american though aren't they oh yeah it's because americans though i think are, are happier to pay for podcasting because i think in britain we're lucky to have extremely good radio and you might complain about it but there's an awful lot of stuff whereas in america to get the the more kind of left field stuff they have to seek it out online and they're willing to pay but we make some we sell our old episode people are willing to buy them We've got a jubilee album out people are buying that yeah it's good i bought it i like it oh thank you dave (laughs) most kind two pound 49 in uh, all good apple sponsored uh, (laughs) download sites i mean again i think it's sort of two sides of a coin really because it depends how you approach that question to answer it properly can you make money from podcasting no you probably can't 
live on it exclusively. Yeah. But unless it, you're American. Unless you're American. And famous. But is it necessary anymore to lose money podcasting, or even if you're successful, just cover your costs? No. In our case, we do make a small amount of money in podcasting, which contributes to our general bank balance at the end of the year. Yeah. But a point where we'd actually be happy living the standard of life that we have just from podcasting is still probably yeah. five years away, continuing at the pace we're at. Yeah. Right. And yeah, yeah m- many uh, hundreds of thousands of pounds away. I suppose the problem is that one doesn't really want to feel like you have to squeeze your listeners for a load of money or inflict a lot of advertising upon them but realistically those are the main methods of making enough money to live out of podcasting so there's the rub yeah i mean the holy grail of course is to get a brand or a sponsor who understands the nature of podcast listening as differentiated from listening to commercial radio right the problem is you speak to most of them even the ones that seem very savvy and switched on and ultimately when you get down to the conversation about pennies and pounds they'll say oh yeah but we pay whatever 0.02p per listener based on you know advertising on capital radio or something yeah. or say, advertising on tv yeah of course Again, different. Yeah, yeah. but th- those are so totally different things as everyone listening to this knows you know you're making a, a decision to completely immerse yourself in a sound that you've chosen at that time against everything else that's on the internet that's a totally different decision to just passively flicking through capital radio when you're in the shower yeah so to me and to i'm sure everyone listening it's obvious that there should be a different financial model for that that it's more akin to sponsoring a sports person or something in terms of a celebrity endorsement you're saying hey these guys are cool our brand's cool let's link them together that should be a different price structure to charging per listener it's never going to work if if they only approach it that way i think through this podcast you're speaking to the wrong people because i'm imagining dave you're Listenership is not made up for a load of corporate people looking to no, move into a digital sponsorship. No, no, but the listeners no, but to this what? do understand what a podcast is. Yeah. And a lot of people who work in brands don't. So Some of them do. Not not even all of my listeners probably <laughs> understand what a podcast is necessarily. Some people just play it through the you know don't even download it. They just play it on SoundCloud. So they'll just go. Well, oh, that's the that's the link that Dave sends out. That I that is play. true, Dave. You're you're if if you don't want people to do that, then you need a different front-facing website. Well, that's true. Yes. I've been told that recently, but I'm I'm I, I can't I, I can't can't be bothered you with the extra admin just at this moment in time, but I'm sure well, I'll get around Well, then stop complaining and go, oh, people only know it's SoundCloud, because when you no, Google I don't it, mind. that's what I don't comes mind. up. I don't mind. I mean, it's, yeah. it's bad for podcasting in general, but it's okay for me. If they're listening to the show, they're listening to the show. I don't mind that's how they right. listen to it. In order for them to listen to answer me this, they'll have to go on iTunes and download it. Well, you don't have to, but oh, no, you can play it's it what 90% your, of them do. Website. Oh, you can do plenty of things. Are you on Stitcher yet? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, in fact, I know you're on Stitcher. You're on my Stitcher list. Anywhere where sound comes out of a computer, that's the idea. That's the beauty of of this model that yeah. you can just go out and put your tentacles everywhere and just see what happens I mean the ideal is to be the sound that comes on when you boot up a computer you know instead <laughs> of it being it's our voices <laughs> all day I've had your jingles in my head oh well. I am sorry just, no, well, every time I've said I'm going to, going to interview Helen and Ollie my, my girlfriend has said no now you put it in my head again which one does she start singing specifically when you say that I think the main theme tune okay, Helen and Ollie asked me this that one at least that's only 17 seconds long yeah. <laughs> yeah. it's funny to have those little things worm into people's heads oh yeah now, podcast has a very high earworm quota I would say great yeah, which is what, what you want which, and what advertisers should be, be yes, remembering yes, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah but I can remember musical radio ad from about 1990 which is about the last time I listened to commercial radio but it's that strong. Audio is a very personal medium, isn't it? Mm. So that's what I think works, whatever you're doing, like whether you're doing an entertainment kind of comedy show like yours or whether you're doing a conversational podcast, what people like is that they feel a personal connection. It's one of the reasons that I think doing conversations with podcasters fits my format because weirdly, I feel like I know you both, Mm. even though I don't know you because I listen to you every week. Well, Mm. well, 
every season because you, you, you have time off. We need the time off. Yeah, yeah. which is sensible. Does it mean that meeting us is a crushing disappointment? Because <laughs> I'd imagine it is to most people who have this personal relationship with us, but it's one-sided and probably their mental picture of us is a lot more forgiving than the reality. I'm enough of a kind of geek to have seen you in videos and things and stuff. So okay, Helen's not actually asking you to rate this experience now whilst we're in it. <laughs> Go on, out of ten. <laughs> and with a grade for uh, effort and uh, scent. But it's, it's sort of back to the Chris Evans is a cock or not factor, isn't it? People know you from hearing us being edited and in a certain format and yeah. of course we're not like that in real life because we'd be unbearable uh, well, you, really edit a lot. you really highly edit your podcast as well don't yeah. you so I mean, people might think I should edit mine more because it would be shorter and more kind of punchy but just that, down to one perfect word yeah. <laughs> yeah I mean certainly I, I've been guilty in the past of not editing enough what would you say though if someone asks you what you do for a living what do you actually <laughs> say I get this sort of terrified look on my face <laughs> As I have ever since I became a freelancer in 2005. Yeah. I'd say I'm a writer and broadcaster and podcaster. It depends who, really. Yeah, it depends exactly. if I'm trying to impress them or if I don't want them to ask anything more. Well, if there's someone with a real job... Oh, then I'll just try and put the wind up them. If I, say, bump into somebody that I was at school with and they're now a solicitor or an actuary, as 90% of them are, then I'll be like, yeah, I'm a podcaster. I work at home yeah. on my own, not for the man. If it's car insurance people, I'm definitely just a writer. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or I work for the BBC. Well, what about if it's a postman? Housewife. <laughs> yeah, the thing is, the postman in my building know that I'm the one who works at home, so if anyone gets a parcel, it's my doorbell they ring to take oh, well. it in. And the next door neighbours, they do a lot of shopping on Littlewood's catalogue. That is just weird in this day and age. <laughs> That's enough about podcasting yeah. for now. It's not that interesting a topic to people who aren't us, I guess. Good that you opened the show with it well, then, because everyone would have stopped listening <laughs> well, by that's, now. That's part of the format. If I'm going to talk about other people's jobs, I kind of have to talk about your jobs, but okay. we can move on from there. No, it's good that anyone who's left the hurdle is really committed to the rest well, of the Well, I show. think the job question can sometimes lose people oh yeah they started talking about what they did for a living and then and then I, I stopped listening I'm like well two thirds in they're talking about a terrible event in their life or a really interesting subject but it's yeah. part of the long stay tuned for that we've yeah. got some great traumas yeah well, <laughs> you know back when I was a sniper <laughs> how did you guys meet I guess oh. we met because we both attended the same college at the University of Oxford and when I got there I was in the year below Helen because oh. I am in fact a year younger than Helen that's right and I was charged with settling Ollie's year in making them feel comfortable and Ollie had a TV in his room so I went to it every day to watch Neighbours that's how we got to know each other really <laughs> so you met at University of Oxford I've, weirdly I've had a, a lot of people from Cambridge on the show but no, nobody from, yeah. I don't think anyone from Oxford I'm probably doing someone from Oxford a disservice now but yeah well theoretically you're doing people from all of the other universities a disservice well, by I, being so elitist I've obviously had people <laughs> from other universities but I happen to know some people who've been to Cambridge it's always something yeah, I need to show off about no, it no 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 well, it's always something I sort of have to address a little bit because I you know I didn't I didn't go to one of those kind of universities and mm. my expe expectations of people who go from those universities was very low okay would it comfort you to know that the college we were at was entirely built in 1960 by Arnie Jacobson who designed the swan chair such as what you're sitting on now and so absolutely everything was from 1960 and in fact apparently originally he designed it without toilets or plugs well, that's a, an, an interesting yeah. tidbit of information. So, it probably doesn't make any difference to whether people from that college are in sort of positions of power unfairly. They're, they're, <laughs> it, it wasn't really one of those super posh, stereotypical Oxford colleges. It was quite laid back. There were far more people from state school than the average. Which is still only about 50%, though, isn't it? I yeah. mean, it's funny, though, you know, when you get there, because I didn't have any connection with 
Oxford or Cambridge colleges. Uh, Helen's brother went to one both of them. Of them. Uh, both yeah. of them so the in. heat was really on to me. So to you get had in. some idea, but God, I, I, yeah, I bet you, mm. there must have been a lot of pressure on you. But when I went, I I'd, I'd failed to get into Cambridge when I was in my levels, and then only when I got my you level s- results. You applied for something really weird. Theology, yeah, unimaginable, it, absolutely insane. Yeah, uh, I, I could imagine musical theatre more than <laughs> more than yeah. theology. Yeah. And God but intervened, and he said, "No, <laughs> these people will not be sitting together in the Royal Festival Hall with Dave Pickering today if Ollie does theology at Cambridge. He must go to Oxford and do." English. I don't know if they do musical theatre at Jesus. I bet they don't. Uh, but anyway, yeah, I didn't know anything at all about Oxford really until I got there. But then when I got there, I was really amazed that there was like this league table within the colleges. What was it called? Do you remember? No. It's, there's something. It's something like the Alexander tables or the Rochester yeah. tables. I can't remember what it was called, but yeah. their name were tables. You know, there's and elitism within the there's elitism. elitism. And, and so if you're from Oxford, like we meet people from another college, you say what college we went to, which was St Catherine's, and they all went ah. Yeah, they kind of look at you like. Literally, like you went to like the the, the dodgy comp, basically. Yeah, a comprehensive. It's, it's so where it's the really public weird. schools, isn't it? I mean, yeah, I, yeah. you were saying you listened to the conversation I had with my friend Henry, yeah. and he's talking about he went to Harrow, and like so people from Eton think Harrow's you know yeah. lower, and people from Harrow think Westminster or whatever, it, whatever, it, however There's it always works. Always someone out. lower than it's you. It's been a weird feature of the show. The 15-year-old version of me. What the one that kicked sand in all the potos' yeah, faces? Exactly. The 15-year-old <coughs> version of me that was. I was in militant Labour. I was in. You know, like the now it's called the Socialist Party, but you know, <laughs> well, they literally called militant. They were labor. called militant Labour. Well, they were that. a part of Labour. They were a they were a kind of offshoot from Labour. I was a kid though when I was in it. I wasn't like an. You weren't even a voting age. No, I wasn't. They like they like it when you're not a voting age because you you do a lot of walking around and yeah. flying for them. It's like you're a boy soldier. Yeah, it's not about the youth gun. There's, there's nothing like being someone who gets bullied at school and then going out into the centre of the city of Cardiff to sell newspapers, socialist uh-huh. newspapers, to people to really help help with the bullying oh oh speaking of people <laughs> who are selling newspapers on the streets i just walked past a big issue seller on the way here who's just shouting eh, motherfuckers which i thought was frowned was upon. he on the bridge yeah yeah i, I saw him too that's I think generally speaking technique. that is frowned upon helen i don't think <laughs> that's just in your mind no I, I don't think it's a good sales pitch no, no especially a big issue they they tend to put on quite a pleasant performance that's right i think usually what they're trying to pull out is people's heartstrings yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> um, in but, fact there's one that uh, I do a radio slot that finishes at 7am and when it finishes I go for a swim and in the walk between the radio station and the swimming pool there's a big issue salesman who I see every week and because it's that time in the morning there's really not that many people walking past him I mean maybe one a minute as opposed to obviously in peak time there'd be you know 20 minutes and he says hello good morning how are you Every Aww. time, That's and nice. it's yeah, and it, it, it. But the problem is, I'm not going to buy a copy at that point. Sometimes I do, yeah, but I, I don't want to feel pressured into I, having my regular. I don't buy the biggest either, so I'm not. I just, I'm not I just don't you. think it's a very good magazine. You know, That's bad. Well, I but. guess in theory. Well, in theory, you should be buying it because of yeah. the magazine, shouldn't you? In theory, you yeah. should be. But whereas, but, actually, but only buy it if someone calls me a motherfucker. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, anyway, it works very well because I'm talking about it now. He's in my mind, and every Friday I say, "One Friday, I'm going to give in and just throw a fifty pound note at him." Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, give me your back issues. <laughs> I, I used to write for free for the big issue for a while, so for a number of years, I felt like it was okay that you know, in a way, I'd paid by writing for it. Yeah. Well, I'm sure that the, I'm sure that's I'm worn sure out by now. Yeah. So the 15-year-old version of me would not have would not have thought that 
you know, when I went to university, I became friends with people who'd been to grammar school, and then, then, I, then, and then, it, then, and then I was in a band with someone who was from Cambridge, and blah blah blah. And now, and then, and sort of the show's almost, it's like almost, it's almost kind of humanizing, you know, like yeah, humanizing, humanizing these monsters the upper like us, is, yeah. us but, I mean, privately educated exactly. people. And uh, you're, the 15-year-old uh, Dave Pickering would be absolutely he disgusted. Would, well, well, he would maybe be disgusted, but he should also, you know, he he, he would be benefiting from this information mm. because obviously people are people and in every institution you've got nice people and not nice people yeah, and, uh, and, and also let's remember we didn't have a choice about which school we went to it exactly. was rather it's like people go oh you grew up there it's like, it wasn't really up to me where my <laughs> family moved and when you're four yeah. you don't really you just take for granted your scholastic career is being decided by someone else and you have uh, absolutely no manoeuvre over it. Absolutely. Really, isn't it? That it is decided by someone else. Yeah, but, but then you're, it's, it's acted <laughs> like it's your fault for the rest of time. Well, yeah, that's it. Well, that's, I mean, I've made up for it by not using my expensive yeah. education because I'm essentially a dropout. Well, yeah, exactly. I mean, and that, well, that's the, that's the thing. And, and, and the funny thing is the people who get really annoyed with with Oxford and Cambridge, and I'm, and I'm not I'm not letting the elite off the hook, uh, yeah. necessarily. The people who get annoyed, they forget about all of the people who are agitators or whatever, who also went to Oxford and Cambridge. I mean, like, if you go through the history of, of, of history, people from all sides of, of, of every debate went to Oxford and Cambridge, do you know yeah. what I mean? Like, I think Tony Benn or whatever went to Oxford or Cambridge, didn't he, or something like that. But that's you know, to do all, with... All of them did. But that's kind of like, that's like a macro version of the whole Oxbridge interview process, isn't it? People say... Oh, there's an unrepresentative percentage of privately educated people at Oxford and Cambridge, and that is definitely true. But that's because the criteria that they use at interview is to do with confidence and being able to talk to people that you've never met before, mm. and uh, sort possibly of having had special tutorials to get you into exactly. the Exactly, and of course that favours people from public schools. But then, does that mean they should change, or does that mean the state system should get better at educating people to that level? And Make people more confident. Yeah, and so it's the sort of the same thing even at the House of Commons level. Like, yes, you might have someone who's a dyed-in-the-wool socialist that went to Cambridge because those are the only people with the debating skills to get there and the publicity skills, the self-promotion skills, I guess, to get elected. So it's quite, it's quite hard, isn't it? Like, do you actually make the system more open but at the same time actually reduce the quality of it? That's always the central point It is an point interesting that, question. Yeah. Everyone admires confidence, though. When Ollie Mann sets up his self-promotion and confidence academy, the world will be a good place. <laughs> well, well, I don't know. There's only so many of me you want in a room at a time. <laughs> I well, sneaky admiration for the person in the corner who says nothing but thinks hard. <laughs> yeah, I mean, confidence is confidence does seem to be the thing that that that, that is the the feature of all of the people I know who were well educated. I guess, and it's not something I necessarily think I've got, but I think I don't know. You you get more of it as you get older, whatever. Yeah, or you Nobody's learn to feign it. And also, you know, there are some people who have very low confidence levels who were born into very good families as well. Mm. I mean, you know. Well, actually, if we're going to ban mouth celebrities, I've never <laughs> met this one before, but Paul McCartney's son. Oh, right. Was this his Jesse? James. James. Yeah. Okay. Limey. Really? I saw him on Lorraine, and it was obvious that he's obvious, I mean, just obviously, just from looking at him, you can see that he's got had all kinds of mental difficulties, and to get to this point, where at the age of something like his late 30s, he's able, a little bit overweight, and a little bit sort of deranged looking, to come on daytime TV and have the confidence to pick up a guitar and play, and he's still not very good. Aww. And it's just, he's obviously, I mean, what a weird situation to be in a situation where everyone knows you're Paul McCartney's son, yeah. so you, you know, if you're going to be a musician, you have to be basically brilliant. Uh, or at least you're not, not allowed to learn how to be a musician with no attention on you. You can't spend several years you can't gigging. Fail exactly. for a bit you're you're on the right. Yeah. 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 You can't learn your chops. And uh, I can't remember why I'm talking about him now. What was the way I was saying about confidence. confidence, right? Yeah, yeah. But there was someone clearly had no confidence. Look, he was doing the interview with Lorraine. He was looking at the floor. He was like, 
he was just, he just had the worst TV manner I think I've I think I've ever seen on national television. Aww. So obviously, yeah, you know, he's had every privilege shown him, and he's still a bit of a fuck up. I mean, that's one of the things I'm hopefully learning through this process. But I hopefully had already learned it a little bit before I started doing this show. Well, there's no point sending your kids to public school; they'll still be a mess. Well, they're just that people are people. Yeah, and, give them uh, a you break. Know, stop judging them. Everyone's got their own thing. Yeah, exactly. The thing that you were both studying when you met was English. That's right. That's why we're fluent in it now. <laughs> Was it English literature or language? Well, there, there is, both. It, there is the, both. One, one influences combined, the other. Well, I was doing a, a special branch yeah, of yeah, the yeah, English degree at Oxford called Course yeah. 2, which is everything before 1400 AD. Right. It means there's far less to read See, because I mean, there wasn't that much written. I can totally imagine you studying English oh, yeah. in that kind of way. I loved it. I, I'm, I have a harder time imagining you studying English, Ollie. I don't. I can't imagine what you mean. I don't mean that you're not, like, you speak English fine, I'm not saying. <laughs> it's not functionally illiterate, no. Um, no, you're right, you're right. My, my special, when we sort of did our dissertations, my subjects were Patrick Marber and the internet, uh, and Harold Pinter. <laughs> well, um, so yeah, I, 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 I like those three things. that was kind of post-1960. That's which cool is, though, but it's cool, very, post-1960, very frowned upon. Very much, yeah, the course pretty much ended in 1960, which is why when, when I had the opportunity to do something a bit more in depth, those are the things I chose, because it wasn't on the course otherwise. And the stuff that Helen sort of specialised in, I yeah. found almost unbearable. <laughs> well, it's not English. It's, it's just, upsetting to I you. just could, well, to understand a sentence, you have to look up every single word in that sentence. Well, I didn't because I spoke fluent Middle English. I had to look up every single word in that sentence. <laughs> I'm not saying it's for everybody, that's why only 10 people did it a year. I had to look up every single word in that sentence in the glossary and then sort of restructure them so they made sense in um, the modern way of structuring a sentence. And then when you finally work out what it's about, you realise that all it says basically is then Arthur went to the town and gave him a letter that he did. I'm finding this think, very reductive. Is this, is this really what I've just spent 10 minutes of my life learning? It's like the equivalent of someone looking at an email that you sent us in, in, in 600 years. So, or should we meet in the Royal Festival? Oh, yeah, see you there at three. That's that kind of level of literature. <laughs> yeah, I found out the other day, I know I'm a bit behind the times in this, but the, the Rosetta Stone, you know, the, the key to hieroglyphics and stuff, yeah. that is just apparently a pharaoh slagging off another pharaoh and doing it in three different languages, so the message definitely got through. That makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, that's that's what you'd expect to be the kind of key in a way, mm. like the, the the trivial thing that he wanted everybody to know, and because he's in charge, he gets to he gets to tell everybody. Yeah. But this guy, that's dickhead. a great little fact. I genuinely thought Rosetta Stone was just a company that teaches you language on the set. <laughs> it's a stripper. <laughs> no, but I really did. I thought it was two people's names put together in a company. And this is why Ollie's degree remains a mystery to many people. <laughs> well, but Hutzpah got him through. What attracted you to all of that ancient English stuff? Oh, though? I've always I been mean, into what, that. What, I, what's I, that about? I had a classical education at my castle in the sky that I was sent to um, and I, even from a really young age from say seven and learning Latin I was like that word sounds like this word in modern English they're probably related so that was always very intuitive yeah, etymology is your I was big into that thing the on the time. show as well yeah it? I just really liked it and of course it was a pragmatic decision because it meant I didn't have to do any Shakespeare I didn't have to read any navel gazing poetry because all the poetry then was uh, just metaphors for Christ in about 30 lines so it, it, it just tickled me and I was never that into like the romantic poets or things like that it's all a bit self-absorbed yeah and it's very clever in a way to choose that area yeah. because there is so much less yeah. of it that you can yes. pretty much read all of it yeah or in at least afternoon. have a cursory understanding of all of it whereas if you pick modern literature unless you do drama which is obviously a bit of a joke because that those plays are much shorter than reading proper books uh you know <laughs> or you again, can just watch a video of most of them yeah yeah that's true that's good too. yeah my degree was in theater studies yeah, yeah. well like <laughs> 
Carl Pinter. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Good That's choice. What I went for. Yeah. Well, actually, my, de- my degree's in creative arts, which is Ooh, hello. really setting me up for a fall. What does that mean? Well, it means I did a minor in uh, in creative writing. Okay. On a CV, I've never put creative arts down. Mm. I've always put theatre studies, minor, creative writing. So Interesting. Sounds much better. Because creative arts really... It, well, it sounds it a bit be like okay the kind of thing they... It, it sounds mm-hmm. like the kind of thing they'd let prisoners do in rehab to get... <laughs> exactly, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but does actually sound like quite a cool degree that yeah. I'd like to do. It's, it's like um, when people study classical civilization, which at my school was the, the joke GCSE for people that weren't clever enough to do the real language. But actually, it's really interesting, like studying ancient cultures and myths and stuff. Um, Miss Pickering, sorry, do you, you want to go to the you toilet? You do need a toilet you can, you can carry on talking to Helen, I don't no. mind. That's interesting. It's up to you. Okay. Well, I think if you want to do a Mr and Mrs thing, you can go to the toilet. No, <laughs> If you're enjoying getting better acquainted with me and with my guests, maybe you'd like to help other people find out about the show. There's a few easy ways to do that. You can go on iTunes if you've got five minutes and leave a review saying what you think of it. That helps it get higher rankings on iTunes and stuff like that. What the show really needs is word of mouth. And in this internet age, that means liking the show's page on Facebook or retweeting it or sharing the link to all of your Facebook friends or Twitter followers doing whatever you need to do in whatever social networking site you use and if you don't use a social networking site well hey you can just tell your friends or email your friends and tell them about what's going on okay so we're back from our back from our toilet break well only Ollie well, had only, one only Ollie had one we've, we've still got the toilet card to play if we need to <laughs> that's, that's true we can, can leave Ollie can talking still. by himself which is how he likes it as far as I understand the mythology of the show you guys decide, like you decided at a party to do answer me this is that right that's right yeah, it's one of these weird things isn't it that when you create anything with any modicum of success you're then asked to explain the origins of the it origin the genesis story, of answer yeah. me this is not very interesting no it's a real so shame you've learned the story but so it's, we were it's abseiling remarkable. Yeah. on a cliff face <laughs> and and i was just dangling by a ledge i was about to die and ollie was like i'll grab your hand but only if yeah. Yeah. you answer me this question yeah no i mean exactly i, I have the same like with with this other other thing i'm doing stand-up tragedy people keep saying to me so why did yeah why why did you come up with this idea i'm like well it seemed like a kind of good title yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? that's the thing and then I had to spin on from there and now I've got a concept and it works but, but good title know. does 80% of the work yeah it, indeed but you were the one who decided first Ollie well it wasn't really a decision like that it was it was more just like, I, I suppose I recognised first but Helen probably recognised very immediately afterwards as soon as I mentioned it to her that we were both in a similar situation in that we going had, nowhere fast <laughs> we had a friendship and we had a natural rapport, but we hadn't properly ever worked together, really. We'd just done some student radio and some writing together a few years before, mm. and that it seemed like the right time in our lives to give it a go, and podcasting was the right medium to try. Yeah. It was as simple as that. It was like a realisation that Helen then said, yes, I agree. It wasn't like yeah. I yeah. decided. Ollie yeah. has, has a good nose for what's going to be the next thing. So he had seen that blogs were going to take off a couple of years before, and then uh, he thought podcasting would be the next thing. So it was in late 2006 that he asked me to do it. If you're listening, buy shares in this thing called Spotify. (laughs) (laughs) I've heard there's going to be a phone that does internet. (laughs) Unbelievable. I'd only really listened to one podcast before, which I think was Adam and Joe XFM podcast, so not even really a podcast cut down radio. So just not knowing any better, I was like, yeah, why not? I'd always wanted to do radio stuff, and unless you can get someone to allow you to do it, you're effectively stuck not doing it, and this way it was just allowing ourselves to do the same thing. Who'd have thought that you'd end up on Woman's Hour just a few years later? 
Who would think I'd end up on getting better acquainted? Well, there you go. That's mm-hmm. true. What were you guys doing? What 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 desperation led you to this <laughs> uh, point? I mean, what 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 were you doing for a living before then? I always knew that I'd have, just speaking about myself first, a kind of portfolio <laughs> career in <laughs> media. Is that a term you invented? No, someone told it to me at. Um, <laughs> I went for an interview at the South Bank show. Oh right. And the deputy arts editor at ITV, who didn't employ me, said, "Yes, well, we all have portfolio careers." Because but she he, was writing. But the book. she didn't. Oh right. Uh, anyway, so I always knew that. So in other words, I don't want to go through my whole CV because it's boring. Basically, yep. I'd yep. done bits at ITV and I'd done an internship at the Guardian and the Observer, and I'd written a play by that point. And the point at which, as you characterise the desperation was settling in was when I was working on a popular factual series for ITV as a, a researcher uh, which was called Confessions. I thought that was an unpopular factual series. Very good. Uh, <laughs> yes. The genre was popular factual, the ratings were not. Right. Um, and uh, yeah, it was just a particularly, you know, there aren't that many characterizations of British reality TV producers because most of the characterizations of TV producers you see are in American sitcoms and so they'd be really high powered big cigar chomping yeah. bald middle aged fat men in, in big office chairs like in Spider-Man rather than really stressed out 30 year olds yeah but if there was that kind of stereotype characterization of a British reality show that's the show I was working on like one that was just sort of relentlessly sort of exploiting the people that were on it and it was quite unsatisfying <laughs> to watch and work on so it yeah. was in that <laughs> it was with that as the background I suppose and also I'd had quite um, my whole life like at school I was precocious but not academically and definitely not at sports so not in things that people actually cared about but in things like I was doing stand-up at school assemblies when I was 16 and I was editing the school paper in that kind of Rushmore way and then when I got to university as well I wasn't great academically, but I was never interested in that. I did all the things I wanted to do, so I was writing for the student paper and writing plays and whatever. And working on on that show, Confessions, was pretty much the first time that I'd had that experience that other people talked about at Oxford when I met them, which was that they'd got to Oxford and realised there were other people who were cleverer than them. I never had that complex because I care about just pure intelligence, but I'd got to a situation where creatively I realised everyone else in the show was better at that than me, and actually I wasn't getting on that well there. I had a a couple of chats with producers who thought I was clearly a bit shit and would rather that I got fired. (laughs) So I suppose that's what was happening, really. I said for the first time... I thought, oh shit. I'm not the centre of the world. I'm not the centre of the world. Ah. People don't actually care what I'm working on and actually it's not that good. And even the people who do work on it think I'm not that good at it. So that's the first time that happened to me, really. And so being Ollie Man, he thought, well, I'll reshape the world. (laughs) (laughs) Which is an admirable attitude. I'll get in touch with my one friend who sees a glimmer of (laughs) (laughs) of hope (laughs) behind my eyes. And so, um, and where were you at then? Oh, the things. I left university, and I was having such a nice time at university with the ivory towers that uh, I hadn't really thought that strongly about career. And then struggled really to find one that stuck. I wrote articles for a bit and I worked in TV for about a year. And I really enjoyed that, but I just didn't like it enough to scrabble really hard every three months to get a new job when everyone else was doing that. So I was a bit lackadaisical. So I'd been freelance and I'd written some comedy for BBC Radio and I was doing some live performance and I was doing book editing. I think at the time I was... Do you remember a guy who was being sued by J.K. Rowling? the guy um, that wrote this lexicon about yeah, Harry I do, Potter. Yeah, I do remember a case. Yeah, yeah I remember well, a while story. That, while that case was going on, he was writing another book and I was editing that book. <laughs> <laughs> so that's, what, that's the kind of stuff I was doing. Charming man, uh, but, you know, really odd for a 50-year-old man to be that into Harry Potter. And his girlfriend at the time was really into Tolkien and it didn't work out well between them. <laughs> 
I, yeah, I can see how that wouldn't. Yeah. Too many maps. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, too many imaginary animal names. Are, yeah, oh god. Th- there aren't very many maps in Harry Potter. It's, that's that's the thing. It's, it's, oh well, there it's, are it's, in the lexicon. Ah right, well there you yeah. go. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there's there's everything in there. In fact, the weird thing was that she had used his website, his lexicon website, in writing some of the later books because he'd so relentlessly documented everything that. You know, she actually went back and was like, "Oh, so in book one I said this guy's brother was called Paul, and in book six I said that he was called Seamus." So you know, she'd written him thank you notes and stuff. So he probably thought it's okay to be making a living off this world. And then she was like, oh, "I've written all the books now. What can I do? Spin off lexicon? Oh no, hang on, press the sue button." Uh oh. Yeah. So yeah, Eject. funny old thing. But it was odd because the book opened with I was a bit cynical about Harry Potter. I thought, why is everyone reading a kids' book? And then I read it, and I loved it. So my first urge was to uh, catalogue everything in it. I just wrote that as if that was the natural thing when you love something, to catalogue it. That's strange. That's a strange kind of love, isn't it? Yeah. But as a fan, though, <laughs> I, I do understand. I can relate to that, because I've just come back from holiday and I read a biography of Faulty Towers, oh. which was written as if the characters were real. So what was Sybil and Basil's background <laughs> story, where right. did Manuel come okay. from? But it was actually very academically researched, from, only from what you learn in the shows. So it was unauthorised... And it was kind of inventing another story about yeah. Baz and Sybil, but yeah. it was only from the fragments that are in the show. Yeah. And so actually it was a fan's book. I read it because I'm a Paul Towers fan. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, it would be really crap if John Cleese and Connie Booth sued over that because it's just someone taking what they've written and saying what's there. Yeah, and they'll be making much less money than John Cleese and Connie Booth. Yeah, exactly. I don't necessarily see the validity of suing about things like this anyway because J.K. Rowling could be sued by a load of other authors mm. who her work is very like and then, then you know where do you stop where do you draw the line yeah well she's um, got all the money so she's going to win she's, she is I think I guess, gonna win. I guess the point at which you, you have to say that's not reasonable is if someone were to write a Harry Potter book and sell it yeah. as Harry Potter and the, the philosopher yeah. Okay. Yeah, but, yeah but they do that I was in Tokyo airport about 10 years ago and they had like 30 different Harry Potter books that were just fan fiction essentially but you know proper published books with yeah. coins being sold no well I heard Geoffrey Archer talking about that on the radio he, he started his most recent book tour in China and he said the reason he wanted to go there because he's quite big in China apparently for some reason the reason he wanted to go to China specifically at the beginning was because he wanted to be there when the book's published so that there'd be a window of about three days before it was pirated and he said that even outside his reading in China of his new book that hadn't come out yet there were people on the street selling pirated versions of it Wow. so they're just much better at the piracy stuff over there he must wow. be pretty hot shit in China yeah. <laughs> yeah. I guess it's quite easy to pirate a, a Jeffrey Archer book though in a way stylistically he's quite easy to copy <laughs> takes ages though whatever the style it's still quite hard to copy I guess. oh god yeah. speaking of which I tried to write a Mills and Boone book once that's it hard so hard it's only about 200 so words that you're allowed hard. to use the vocabulary I know I know it was I'd impossible I had to give up you're not not enough of a bodice ripper type well no I, it was for something else I wanted to write a book about somebody who had a, was reading a Mills yeah. and Boone book but then I wanted to actually write the Mills and Boone and yeah. Yeah. I gave up on that even things that are very distinct in style are very difficult to ape I had to read Giles Brandreth I think it might be a series, but hopefully it's just a one-off. He wrote this sort of detective novel, and Oscar Wilde is the main character. I think his sidekick is Arthur Conan Doyle. And so Wilde... There's at least two. Oh, I think I, I heard him talking about the sequel. Um, oh, no. And Wilde is going around trying to make Wildean aphorisms about everything, going, well, a, a parlour maid with a bloody knife in her hand is as guilty as a cat with a fish in its mouth, that kind of thing. But it's actually very hard to do God. a wildism, which is why you his are, are on the mark and no one else is. You are setting yourself up for a fall if you're trying to 
copy of Oscar Wilde, I think. Yeah. I think everyone agrees. You know, whatever you thought of his personal life at the time, <laughs> yeah. even the Victorian gentleman yeah. of the day would say that he was a good aphorist, wasn't yeah. he? Yeah, yeah. In- indeed. If you're going to copy an aphorist, go for at least second tier, yeah. not top tier. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Go for Clarkson. <laughs> you might have trouble finding the necessary fibre in yourself to produce the proper Clarksonisms. You might think, I just can't do that. Well, you see, this is it. I, I, don't I, know. I, I was Maybe once. I, um, I was once on a. T- <laughs> you do hate minorities. <laughs> I was, no, I don't. <laughs> I was once on a TV show with uh, Richard Littlejohn, and I thought the same sort of thing about him. I thought it's quite difficult in a way to have so much hatred about nothing and it was interesting because I saw him in the green room before we were going on to have a debate I can't remember about what is Britain broken something like that <laughs> oh, um, God. yeah not, not to say it was weighted in his favour in any way it was pleasant enough to say hello but what was interesting is when the other guests including myself were chatting backstage he sat in the corner and read his own book and Ooh. it was partly because he was there to promote his own book and actually we've had a book out and I, I know that sometimes you do need to flick through to remind yourself yeah. of the soundbite because yeah, yeah. it's so long ago if I was going to ask you loads of questions about that yeah, book you you'd be remember. annoyed because you'd be like I, yeah. I don't know I can't remember anything so well, maybe, maybe it was ghostwritten and he'd never actually well, read it before well maybe I actually yes. think he was just remembering how to be the public facing Richard Littlejohn oh, rather than the man because he had to go yeah. on and do his soundbites and he was kind of revising being Richard Littlejohn and I thought actually that it isn't that easy to be the person who comes on and absolutely for Middle Britain encapsulates what they want to say yeah. and treads that fine line between political correctness and not being too racist and everything else. And actually, not that I got an appreciation for what he does, but I thought, blimey, he does actually work hard at that. Like, and it's quite revealing that it's not an instinctive knee-jerk, this is what I think. You know, he's doing a political debate, he's actually revising what he thinks. Oh, I think you've got it all wrong. I think he's just reading the book because that is his favourite book and he doesn't <laughs> want to talk to anybody yeah, else. Yeah. I think you're being way too generous. Yeah, it might be that. I can see both of those arguments holding weight. So you guys got on the podcasting train early on. So it seems now. Didn't feel it yeah. at the time. No. Yeah, yeah, but you were late. Compared to some people, you were yeah. late to the game. But yeah. in this country... We were late so early adopters. Early. Yeah. Yes, yeah. that's very good. I like to think of myself as a second wave of late early adopters. Yeah. Because even now, there's so many people who don't know about podcasting that it still feels like I'm getting in on something that people haven't really uh, got their heads around I wouldn't be surprised if podcasts are still here in 10 years and therefore they might still be the biggest podcast of all time yet to be debated maybe in 10 years people will still be saying no one knows what a podcast is (laughs) how long have you been doing the show? since January 2007 that was when the first episode came up so just over five years. I'm gonna say you've been doing the show for five years, and I was like, "What if that's basically, wrong?" Basically, by the I time this comes out, five and a half years, basically. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's and my five and a half years noise. Ooh, exactly. Too long. And you've been working together for five years uh-huh. with the person who isn't here, Martin, the sound man on your yeah, show. Yeah, he's got a real job, you see. Yeah, he I'm has doing to in a, the office. I'm doing a conversation with him in that office on Monday. Oh, how so, lovely! Yes. Did you, you get, not know that? No, I did know. Okay. I didn't know you were going to his own office. Yeah. I mean, he literally has his own office yeah. in the office. Very exciting. Yeah, it's pretty. With him for this episode or for a separate episode? For a separate episode. Interesting. Because his own episode. Yes. Oh. Enjoy. <laughs> and he's the third member of your of your podcasting team, and you're married to him. Helen. I am. Yes. Did yes. you know? I'm going to say. I am aware. Oh, oh, did you know that you're married God, to him? What, where did the last year go? Yeah. <laughs> so many drugs. <laughs> and you've been basically working, I guess, it semi-intensively on and off with each other for years. How's that affected your friendship? Ollie unfortunately for him is now in a category of people who's basically like family in that I don't feel any imperative to be nice to him (laughs) because I know him so well he's quite forgiving he's got quite a thick skin so I just don't even bother really to gloss up the moods that I'm in or you know if I can't really be bothered to be polite I'm just not polite which is really bad but it is the case isn't it that the people that you're closest to see the worst of you yeah 
you'll notice that I'm not butting in saying no, no, no. That's no. because <laughs> <ridiculous. laughs> he's not he's not a liar. No, I think that's fair, but I'd say it's almost the, the same is true of me as well. I mean, it is a sort of sibling type relationship, and that's good because we spend too much time with each other for it to be anything else. Yeah, you can't waste time with niceties, really. And, and we do the thing is when one of us gets back from holiday. There is a spontaneous, you know, Lots a long say. conversation yeah. about what's happened. The problem is we see each other, you know, every three days or whatever. Yeah. And sometimes, like for two or three weeks, there'll be a, a situation where we're working with each other every day. Oof. And it's uh, and so it's just the same as any other colleague, except your friends as well. But do you fall, have you fallen out? Uh, not, not, no. not really. Inquiring listeners want to know. Yeah, yeah. But if, <laughs> if, the, if the question is, have we had disputes? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, plenty but, bickering, but, but that's but, insignificant, yeah, really. Yeah. Ones that get resolved. No, no, I, mean, no, I don't no, think I mean, even across the break of a telephone call, like ones that get resolved in the same yeah. telephone that's, call. That's a, a wise way to be. Yeah. Like, Actually, it, that's something you don't, I don't think you have control over. We're both quite straight about how we feel with each other. Yeah. And we're also... Um, <laughs> We're always prioritising the work that we're doing together over our feelings. We're colleagues, we're not friends. Yeah. (laughs) We're colleagues before we're friends when we're talking about the work and then we can be friends to other things and that is the way to do it. And and so you do make the very clear distinction between the two. They don't bleed into each other. Yeah. Well, well, we wouldn't necessarily hang out as friends. Like if one of us was having a dinner party, we probably wouldn't invite the other just because we know that on a day when we don't have to see each other, it's a pleasure not to see each other. So in a way, if you invite someone around for dinner, you're making more work for them. But within the context of a recording day of Answer Me This, we stop for an hour and have dinner together then. Yeah, exactly. And the the third member who isn't here, you're basically hanging out with a, a couple a lot yeah, yeah. Yeah. for big chunks of time I mean is that a strange kind of dynamic how does that well, dynamic I d- yeah sometimes it is awkward because sometimes Martin will be cross <laughs> about the thing or annoyed about it and and yet I know that what Ollie and I want is what needs to happen and I don't <laughs> want my personal relationship with Martin to be affected by it so sometimes if there's something difficult that I know Martin's going to be annoyed at I do have to get Ollie to, to broach it with him right. because I think he so, is, yeah. yeah, takes a bit of better. I mean, that works both ways because there's, you know, there's two power blocks. There's me and Helen versus Martin, but then there'll also be Helen and Martin versus Ollie if it's, you know, to do with scheduling, for example. If and there's then, a date yeah. that I can do and they can't. I'm on all and, the and teams. Then, and yeah, and then I get. Well, I don't know because and Mar- Martin and Ollie are blokes, probably, aren't they? Yeah, exactly. So I guess there's then there's an Ollie and Martin versus Helen thing. If it's about, I'm not something. saying they're the same kind of. Person. Well, no, but no, but that, <laughs> they're the least blokey blokes no, in the world. That's true. They're not. Where that might come up, they have got penises though. Where that might, I don't know that for sure. Where that might come, where that power block might come up and that's less regular but where that might come up is during the recording of the podcast itself where yes. because we're men we're more interested in the subject than Helen yeah, is but absolutely. then she that's where I would that out <laughs> but she can't really stop us talking about it for three minutes do you do the editing yeah well what happens is I'll do a rough edit I'll send it to Ollie Ollie will listen to it he'll write edit notes and send them to me and then I'll do a second edit so there's actually a lot of editing that goes into the show I hope this doesn't ruin any illusions that you have yeah. very Good polished shows turd get Dave edited, you know? I, I, I even edit this one. Oh my god you and Martin have been together nearly I think nearly as long as me and Jen I don't know um, how long you and Jen we've have been, been together. together for 11 years oh yeah we've been together nearly as long as that but not quite as yeah. long 10 and a half nearly. so inevitably there'll be times when you two fall out well, when you're and or there'll be a tension between the two of you that will not have been resolved before the recording day no, I would imagine I think Ollie probably sees us sees Martin and me bickering more than actually would naturally happen because I think sometimes Martin plays it up for the audience <laughs> and uh, and that bugs me and also when Martin gets home and Ollie and I have been preparing for the recording all day I'll already be quite tired and I'll be in quite businessy mode so I'm not really in the mood for his shit <laughs> um, yeah I've not been conscious at any time that we're recording that they've had a substantial falling out of any description no. yeah, I've think... only been conscious of bickering which is almost consistent <laughs> like almost you know 
what's the word I'm looking for, Helen? Almost constant. Constant. I wouldn't say it's constant, but it's constant and persistent to make consistent. Yeah, yeah, that works. Yeah, Yeah. regular. It's all of those things. Constant, as in, in every recording session, there'll be five minutes of bickering at some point. But partly, Martin is playing it up. So if uh, he leaves Ollie and me to do some pickups, say he'll stamp across the room, and I'll get annoyed at him, which means he'll stamp more. Thus delaying us doing the pickups. That's the, that's the kind of petty thing. But then maybe is. that gives an energy to no, the thing that you no, do. No, it's, it's just irritating. <laughs> but then, but then the so you understand sometimes why I get annoyed with him, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, the other thing as well to understand, I guess, as well, is obviously if you listen to the show, you, you hear the three of us, but actually 90% of the work is, is me and Helen. Martin just turns up for the 90 minutes of the recording. Yeah, not we're really carrying that. him, aren't we? <laughs> not done I mean, he's getting that. his own episode <laughs> of Getting Better Acquainted, and really, he does nothing for it's us. It's important. Well, yeah, but he does there. a few other podcasts as well. He does. Yeah. It's important that he's there. He's very good at what he does. He's our sidekick, but he is the sidekick. And like when it comes to planning the episode, and then editing, and then releasing, and then publicizing, that's all the two of us. Do you get annoyed with the fan reactions to Martin? No, no he's the it's fine sidekick. that they love him the best. That's kind of the point. <laughs> that's kind of the point. I mean, he's there to sometimes be the voice of truth if we're babbling on. And, and like, you know, you, you have to remember, although we cut out the stuff that he says that isn't funny, we also choose to leave in the stuff that he says that is. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes sometimes there's a minute of the show that's there purely to make the thing that he says seem funnier. I mean, it just depends on the dynamic of that yeah, section yeah. of the show. Yeah. Whereas with us, we don't necessarily have the luxury of editing out everything we say that's no. not very interesting because that is the, best 40% it's, it's the structure of the show. Yeah. So Martin, I mean, he gets a very favourable edit. But sometimes if he's if he's moaning about the show, if he's saying, oh, I don't really have the time, you're taking up so much of my time, then then I feel like, you know, it, it is awkward to have a businessy side of your relationship. But yeah, I mean, that's the thing, I guess, with you and Ollie, you can definitely probably keep business. And, like, cause, I mean, when, when me and Jen have done things together, that means that sometimes when we're, you know, trying to get to sleep at night, we end up talking, you know, as we're going to sleep about things, and that's annoying, you know, that's annoying, and that kind of, you can't kind of separate it so easily when you're actually in a relationship. Yeah, on the other hand, it means we get to use uh, his home studio for free. Yeah. <laughs> And we've got some nice jingles. Yeah, yeah some great jingles. A, a lot of the earworms are from him originally. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and we've got a bit of eye candy as well for, for our artwork. Everyone seems to have a really different mental picture of what Martin looks like. They all assume that he's bald, and you'll, you'll discover that when you interview him for your next episode. Well, I, kind of, I think I've seen him on videos as well. It's like I a think. forest. <laughs> he's, he's, yeah, he's got a beard, doesn't he? Well, actually, he shaved, but it'll probably have grown back by the time you meet him in a couple of days. <laughs> Yeah, he's a suit, he has a, a, a lustrous head of hair, he's got it all. It's a weird thing, normally when I do these conversations, there were people I know a lot more about, in a way. Mm. Like, all I kind of know about you guys is your yeah. show, really. Yeah. And I know that well, and I listened to it on, you know, just this morning I was listening to it. But, but I've also been tapping your phone calls. <laughs> yeah. So. But I mean, I guess, I know that, that Helen does craft stuff. Yeah. I'm right on that, I think. Yeah, you look very menacing when you said that. <laughs> yeah. What of it, Dave? No, I've got nothing nothing against it. But I, I guess it but but if I was to talk to you about crafts and that would be a kind of two way conversation without Ollie, I guess you're not Feel really free. Interested. You have a conversation about crafts, I'm very happy to sit here and listen, I might learn something. Oh, right. <laughs> you won't. Okay, well, when did you get into crafting? Um, I suppose it's just one of those things that I was brought up making stuff. I remember my granny teaching me to knit when I was about four. My dad's a sculptor, I was just in quite an arty household and I was good at art when I was little, so we just had that making stuff with your hands business all around so I always just took it for granted and now sometimes I get in a mood of sort of you know kind of blue fog and I know that there's nothing that will dispel it apart from making a thing it's just a sort of thing you have to do in order yeah. to and it really solves a lot of problems actually 
Interesting. Yeah. So kind of, I guess like meditation or something for, yeah, some, for somebody. Yeah, but better because you get an object. Yeah, you get something end. at the end of it. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's the thing that doesn't really appeal to me about the idea of meditation. You just yeah. sort of sit there and. Uh, Who am I going to give this happens. to for a birthday present? There's yeah. nothing tangible there. What do you craft? Oh, you know, whatever comes up. Uh, I, I, <laughs> my, I think my best craft recently, about six months ago, it was my brother's birthday, and I had really no money. I mean, not even enough money to buy craft materials. I thought, right, what can I make him out of waste? And uh, so I had this pair of trousers that had fallen apart at the seam. And I had <laughs> this... Happy birthday! Yeah. <laughs> Do these fit? So you can put your legs through the holes. It's just as well, you can rearrange this as something vaguely <laughs> yeah. presentable, isn't it? And I had this leather bag that had fallen apart as well, so I made him a stag's head out of the trousers and a kind of fake wooden plaque out of the leather from the bag and uh, antlers made out of wire and twine. It was really good. I that yeah. sounds pretty... Yeah, it, was, it was one of the best crafts I've ever done. It had a squeaker in it, snout as well. <laughs> that's, that's an excellent detail. Yeah. Where I was going to go before I took this little craft detour, which was... I, I like that. That's good. I'm glad but, to make you happy, Dave. Well, yeah, well, I, I, yeah, I keep... I keep on, on lots of people's conversations I've had crafts at the end and never quite got around to it so at mm. least I'm hitting I'm hit the, the craft friends of mine's kind of uh, buttons craft for button. once yeah I'm rubbish at that sort of thing the other thing though that I know about both of you mm. from, is that you are both Jewish I knew, somehow I knew you were going to say that I don't know why don't know, maybe you, you had that very anti-Semitic face on. yes people do actually sometimes just mistake me for being Jewish when I'm not Jewish actually Darren Heyman when I interviewed him said that he'd had a similar I don't think he said it on mic but he said he's had a, he'd had a similar uh. thing people with glasses mm. It's just a, it's a, and, and, and big, well, I've got quite a big nose as well. Yeah, I guess. Nerdy, nerdy yeah, I guess so. But I mean, I guess, I mean, I'm not obviously wanting to necessarily talk about your ethnicity, but I guess, <laughs> I mean, we can if you like. Well, well, I can if you. you like, Dave. You're well, the one who brought it up. You're that, the boss. No well, that's true. Well, the reason that I kind of thought of it is that a lot of my conversations have, to my surprise, wasn't what I thought when I started the show. But you actually They've hate dr- the Jews. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> have drifted into religion, I guess, yeah. as, a, as an area. But neither of us at all religious. Exactly. Well, it it, it, it is very much a kind of ethnicity thing, and I suppose yeah. a practice. Well, it's, it's a funny one, isn't it? Because it's an ethnicity and a religion. It's, and you it's can a nationality be, with no land. You can have the religion... But not be Jewish. Well, or how does that? I don't know. I don't know. I think the thing is, even if you don't practice the religion, even if you're an atheist, as my my family are atheists, you're still Jewish. That's the thing. Whereas you probably wouldn't say that you were Christian. Yeah. So you were brought Which up as an atheist. Yeah, but we did do uh, the Friday night and we did do Passover and stuff. And my brothers were bombits, but but that was partly to appease my dad's parents who the threatened to kill generation. themselves. Well, yeah. Okay. Uh, when my dad was going to marry my mum, who is uh, a new Jew. Right. She had to convert for the privilege of marrying him. You're not pure Jew. She counts because her mum converted. That's, the yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, some money changed hands with some chief rabbis in Israel. So it's it's all above board. It's, it's what God wanted. <laughs> Were you brought up? I'm the full deal. He's proper. Yeah, yeah, yeah proper North London Jew. Doesn't matter what I think. I, I get to have a Jewish burial if I want one. Whichever way you slice him. Yeah. <laughs> there's a star of David in the middle. Did you go to? I, I'm so ignorant about. No, religion. no, that's fine. Did you go to whatever, wherever, wherever Sunday Jews go? Where did Jews go? Where did Jews hang out? No, I mean, Sunday, school. Ice cream. Sunday school. I went to a Sunday school and I had a permitsfer, but my schools were always multi-faith. Although the one that I went to was a kind of local private school to where I lived, and where I lived was predominantly Jewish and Indian. So even though it was weird, even though there was a chapel and we all sang all things bright and beautiful, I say eighty percent of the school were either Jewish or Indian. But then my secondary school, there were only about three Jews in the whole school. So uh, no, not I don't have a particularly Jewish background. But the thing that I always related to was the was the humour really when I was sort of. 14, 15 and anorak fan levels of devotion to various comedians that were pumping through my veins. I was very interested to see that a lot of the people that I naturally leaned towards stylistically were Jewish as well and so that was kind of an interesting exploration. Yeah, that is interesting. But I mean, actually, if you're a fan of sort of 
Western left-leaning <laughs> intelligent humour, then inevitably you're going to find yourself at Woody Allen and Mel Brooks and uh, yeah. Larry David. And so I, I've felt it less as I've got older, but it's just something I'm very aware of and interested in, I suppose. And I think what's interesting for our generation, I, I think for the generation above ours, it was a matter of there was some latent bit of shame if you chose not to be religious, um, as Helen's father did, but clearly carried around with him this burden that he had. Yeah. Ang angry um, atheist. Yes. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah, he was just seeking something else to pour it into. So later he became a Scientologist briefly. <laughs> wow. Having escaped the strictures of Judaism, idiot. Whereas I do think in our generation, in, in London anyway, you, you can just sort of have it as an interesting part of your makeup and it's something to, yeah. you know, explore, but it's not, it's just, I don't know what it is, 20% of my personality, you know, I don't, yeah. it's certainly not a massive factor, but it's there. Yeah, you know? although what's weird is that I think people do feel quite happy about making some quite ripe racist comments about Jews mm. and they think it's okay and funny. I guess like they do with the people who've got ginger hair as well. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, it's the old argument, isn't it? You know, if you said that about a black person, would it be all right? It's, of course it wouldn't. It's probably more acceptable to say anti-ginger. I'm not saying it, is, it should be, but it's probably culturally more acceptable to make anti-ginger jokes than anti-Jewish jokes. Well, it's a joke. I mean, the thing there's, is, like, there is a, like a, you're, you're right, they're similar, but it's, yeah. still, it's still more frowned on to be anti-Semitic, I think. I mean, I think it was not happened. by racists, obviously. They, they love it. <laughs> Any important I think what's happened in England in the last sort of ten years is that we've caught up with where America was probably twenty years ago in comic terms of Jews talking about being Jewish without without talking about the religion or without doing massive stereotypes like Jack Rosenthal or something. Yeah. So I think whereas when I was sixteen and I was looking at characters like. Ross and Rachel and Friends, for example, right, and Monica, I suppose, or Jerry Seinfeld, you know, clearly identifying as Jewish. Yeah, yeah. There was nothing on British TV apart from kind of David Baddiel, but then that. that yeah. Lippmann. Well, the, the the big the big person on TV who was Jewish was oh god, what's his name? Death to us part and all. Uh, he he. The guy, Afghani. Yeah, yes. the guy who yeah. played Afghani Warren was Mitchell, Jewish. Yeah, yeah. Warren. Yeah. That's right. Warren. Mitchell Although that's not a Jewish character. Though. No, no, no. So I know that's, what, that's I mean. what I'm saying. Yeah. I'm saying the only Jew, like the the, the big Jewish kind of character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The big Jew comedian was, was was a big yeah. <laughs> Um, well, of course, there were plenty of Jews around, you know, Sid James or whatever. But, oh, yeah, but, of but in terms of actually, yeah, identifying, yeah, that's right. Well, I thought a, Dorian in Birds of a Feather was Jewish. Yes, well, she was. She was. Um, she was a, she's a Jewish actress. She, she's a Jewish actress. The I always the, thought the character the, was. The character was too, but it, but exactly, it was implicit, not explicit. And I think what's happened in the last ten years with things like Friday Night Dinner and Grandma's House. We've all become Dorians. As I think it's become just like, a thing that you can do jokes about. Yeah, now. Grandma's House is a really good example of that. I find that program really, really good because I kind of. I work in a sort of area of London that is, I think, where it's set, and uh, it's it's in, it's really interesting to see people just sort of acknowledging the community that it's it's setting, but not you know not knocking you over the head with it, and it just being a kind yeah. of backdrop. Well, I think that's the thing. I think if you were to ask a Jewish person to describe Grandma's house, they'd say, "Oh, it's the Jewish sitcom." Yeah, but I think if you were to ask someone who wasn't and didn't I mean, really have an investment, they'd just say, oh, "It's the one with Simon Amstel." Yeah, same with yeah. the Friday night dinner well, as well. Family one, yeah. Because yeah. because there's not. I don't think they have the kiddish in it specifically, do they? They just all go home on Friday night. It's very easy to miss that they are also a Jewish family. However, I didn't grow up in a Jewish community at all. We were the only Jews that I knew. Yeah, you were in South Africa, weren't you? No, my dad's from South Africa, okay. so all the family is in South Africa, but we were in Tunbridge Wells, ah. which is not a hotbed of Judaism. Uh, I interviewed Judaism. someone in Tunbridge Wells just the other day. Did you? Why? Because you lived there. Who was that? Michael Fenton Stevens, the actor, who's a parent of my university friend. Good lord. I hope you had a nice time. Lovely George and <laughs> But yeah, so I didn't have the same experience as Ollie did of growing up in a Jewish area, because North London was and is still still Jewy, yeah. and he has this extended family around him. My dad 
went a hemisphere away from his extended Jewish family. Yeah, Tunbridge Wells is a very waspy wasp, place. That's weird. I was mm. trying to work out the word. Yeah, that's the one. <laughs> that's a pertinent and euphemistic description. Of I mean, was it was it what was it like then? I mean, being in a wasp area. No, it was fine. I mean, because it, it was normal. <laughs> yeah. I, it was just normal, and we had. I mean, I knew that the family was slightly off-beam anyway because my dad was a sculptor and not a businessman. And we, I went to a CAV school, but we were atheists slash Jewish at home. But that name, though, is ultimate. Yeah, I mean, it's that a clue. Is a big yeah. That might as well be Juju, you know. <laughs> it is a way, certainly, for anyone to uh, approach you and make that uh, suggestion. Oh, this so. is a weird thing. My brother's nickname at school was Shylock Jewbags. And that, was, that, seemed, that wow. seemed fine. That's pretty crazy. That's almost definitely unacceptable. I think the thing for Jewish people in this country maybe is that in, in America everyone's very culturally aware of Jewishness whereas in this country because we're not so culturally aware of it for reasons that you were kind of outlining I imagine it's very easy to pass as not a minority group complete we don't look dissimilar we're not dissimilar because we're human beings but you know if you were black you would stand out much more and you would have kind of a, a lot more kind of bullying I guess at school based on your ethnicity that's my assumption I don't know that's probably true, but it's true because we grew up in the 80s. I don't think it would be true if we grew up in the 50s or 60s. Yeah, my no, dad, my dad for used, sure, my, for sure. My dad got beaten up at school for being... There were there were two Jews at his school in um, the Orange Free State in South Africa, and uh, one of them was a lot bigger than him, Mervyn Maltz. So my dad very enterprisingly paid Mervyn Maltz to be his uh, protector. That's good. Yeah. He also won a cake for tidiest tent at Young Israel camp. <laughs> oh, very good. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, he had a very different experience, of, no, of course. Absolutely, generationally, that's yeah. obviously the case. Yeah, I and mean, then his parents' generation, obviously, they had a much more different experience in Eastern Europe of being unpopular. Yes. But also, I mean, I think as well, it's not just sort of anti-Zionist propaganda to say that the Jews run Hollywood. You know, the Jewish people did build Hollywood, and they built yeah. the big studios, Warner yeah. Brothers and Fox. And, yeah, and, and they built New York as well, I suppose, like the current conception of New York. Well, yeah, yes, well, immigrants built New York, and they have all types, but particularly with Hollywood, and then particularly the effect that's had on popular culture I think I think it's a direct result of that I mean I would say this because I'm interested in the entertainment industry particularly but I do think so I do think that you know I remember going to see Independence Day when it's it's very clear that a black man and a Jew an identifying Jew saved the world and are rewarded by the president of the USA and there was quite a lot of that messaging going on throughout the 70s and 80s and 90s when you look back at it like I said earlier with those sitcoms where you have clearly Jewish characters that I do think it's become something that non-Jews understand a lot more than they used to and they identify with a lot more than they used to. It's easier that we're white but I do think that the role of sort of savvy and intelligent kind of Harvard educated Jewish scriptwriters in Hollywood shouldn't be underestimated because I do think that that's had an impact really in, in the ways that people aren't sort of suspicious and frightened of Jewish characters. Your minority has been well represented in the zeitgeist mm. for a number of years now and the Muslim community really have only had terrorists exactly. for years and years. Th- there has yet to be... <laughs> they should have put more into the entertainment industry. Yeah, that's right. They should have built it. If that, it's their fault. Not, there has yet building. to be a sort of Ben Stiller in Meet the Parents Muslim equivalent <laughs> where you can make jokes about the fact that the two families are clashing and it's kind of there in the background that it's because yeah. they're Jewish but it's not the real reason. You're right, that hasn't should, happened. When that does happen, if mm. that happens, you know, that will be an important moment to start changing. Yeah, you're right. 
Well, that's so serious. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you asked. It can go quite serious on this show. So the last thing I ask people is, do you have anything to plug? Oh, good lord. Well, we, we might as well focus our efforts on the thing that actually generates income for us. So <laughs> if you liked hearing us talk at length, then please do buy the Answer Me This Jubilee album out now for £2.49 on iTunes, where you can also find our free podcast. But do spend the money first and then listen to the free one. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot of fun, the Jubilee episode. I really enjoyed it. Oh, good. Thank you very much. And, uh, it's a topic that both of you have a lot to say on, I thought. Which is weird. Which is funny. I'm so uninterested. Yeah, exactly. I just don't care about the royals. I don't yeah, even. I guess it's, you, you've lived in the UK for <laughs> since so, 1980. Yeah, exactly. So you have soaked it all up, and it just comes yeah. out. And in, I'm from Tunbridge Wells, so you you know it's just built into my fabric. Some sort of interest in the royals, even though consciously there is none. Yeah. And actually, I was subscribed as a joke by a friend to Hello Magazine for six months a few years ago. Just turned up one one day, and then every week for six months. And I did find myself getting interested in minor royalty because you know, if you're reading it every week, you start to you start to feel some kind of yeah. yeah, yeah oh, Princess Michael. She, oh. Well, exactly. I mean, well, it's, it's like that man. office mentality when you're in an office, you start to care about like all of the X interactions between all of the yeah, mm-hmm. all of the people that you see every day. Yeah. You ask about someone's Jewishness, you end up talking about critical theory. Sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> That's how it happens. Very true. Yeah. So the last thing I ask people to do is to say goodbye to the audience. Goodbye, audience. Oh, goodbye, audience. Thank you for sticking with us. Goodbye, everybody. Funnily enough, considering what me, Helen and Ollie were talking about at the beginning of that conversation, I've been nominated in the category of Best Online Creator for the Radio Production Awards. So I'm going to another ceremony on the 12th of July, which is pretty soon. And I've been nominated because of the work I did on this show in 2011. I'll let you know how that goes while I'm making extra announcements at the end. I should probably add that Helen and Ollie have some other ways that you can give some money to what they do. You can buy their book. You can find that on Amazon or in other places, I believe. And you can also buy their first, I think it's 60 episodes, but a lot of episodes, lots of hours of them. You can buy their early stuff. You can buy that through iTunes and other places. Find them at www.answermethispodcast.com. It was fantastic to have them on the show and in two weeks' time I'll be putting out the episode I did with Martin the Soundman or Martin as I now call him. You can find Getting Better Acquainted on Twitter at GBA Podcast. You can find it on Facebook. It's Getting Better Acquainted. Have a search on Facebook and like it. Or you can find it on the website www.gettingbetteracquainted.co.uk You can also subscribe by searching on iTunes and subscribing to us that way. And on the Stitcher Smart Radio app, you can download for your smartphone from stitcher.com or through the App Store. There are lots of ways to get better acquainted.